Well, we're starting a, a new series this morning in, in Matthew. I say new, it's not actually new. Um, we're sort of revisiting an old series. And I say revisiting, this series started before I was uh, even part of this church. So I'm coming into this series sort of halfway through it as well. And Matthew chapter 23, we're sort of arriving four-fifths of the way through Matthew's gospel. And you might think, well, why do we do this? And just briefly, um, uh, before I read, let me me say, uh, at Christchurch, we want to be a church that is uh, driven by the Word of God. We want the Word of God to set the agenda at our church. So we don't sort of pick and choose our favorite passages. Rather, we work systematically through uh, Bible books. Um, we've sort of taken a break from Matthew. It's 28 chapters long. It's, it's, that is quite a long time. So sometimes we'll sort of break it up with something else. But the point is we want to get through the whole of Matthew's gospel because we want to hear everything that Jesus said. And we don't want to avoid the challenging bits. Hence, we're back to uh, Matthew 23. And uh, in the first uh, 22 uh, chapters, let me just recap something of what we've seen already. Matthew's gospel is, um, well, it is a gospel, it's good news, and it's about Jesus Christ. It's an eyewitness account of Jesus Christ. And in particular, in Matthew's gospel, um, he's telling us how Jesus is the king of the Jews. He is the long-promised king that the Jewish people were waiting for who would make right this world. But he's not just the king of the Jews. He's also uh, the king of anyone who will come to him. The the start of Matthew's gospel, uh, we have those who are known as uh, the three kings. Um, They come in at the start of the gospel. And at the end of the gospel, Jesus sends out his apostles and his disciples to all nations to make disciples of all nations. But in the middle, uh, in particular, there's the outworking of Jesus being the king of the Jews. And what does that mean? Now, in the last part of Matthew's gospel, Jesus comes up to Jerusalem, and uh, that's where where our reading starts. And I sort of like to think of Matthew's gospel, if it was one of these um, famous boxing matches, I don't know if you follow boxing, probably most of you say you don't, but sometimes you'll see there's a really big boxing match coming up, and it will start to go mad in the press on sort of Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, before the fight on a Saturday and a Sunday. And they'll do the press conferences, they'll have the weigh-in, all up to the main event, which will be on the Saturday night. Now, the main event in Matthew's gospel is the cross and resurrection of Jesus. So we can think of where we are now as like sort of the final press conference, the final way in before the main, in, main event that's setting everything up. And that's where we arrive to this morning. So I'm going to read Matthew chapter 23. Um, and uh, it's quite a long passage, but I'll read the whole thing. And then um, we'll see how Jesus, uh, see what Jesus is saying to us this morning. So Matthew 23, verse 1. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so practice and observe whatever they tell you, but not what they do, for they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honour at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you're all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. 
and neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing, but if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, and the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, If we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Thus you are witnesses against yourselves, that you are the sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How are you going to escape being sentenced from hell? Therefore I tell you, Prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some of you and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of the, of innocent Abel to the blood of Zechariah the son of Barachiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who have sent it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not. See, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you see. Blessed is, the, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Okay, that's quite a long reading. And so what I want to start off with is just summarizing what this passage is all about. And this, I think, is the thrust of what Jesus is saying. Uh, It's that Jesus' judgment will come 
on religious fakes. Jesus' judgment will come on religious fakes. Uh, children, I don't know if you've, when you're in the car with your parents, if you ever badger them for your favorite radio station. It's quite annoying if you're a driver to have to listen to your children's radio station, but I'm sympathetic at the same time. I remember really one of my parents when I was younger to turn on Capital FM. I think you can get that up here now. We're in the age of digital, and that ages me, leaving that comment. But um, Capital FM, I used to love it, and there was this uh, game show. Um, well, not a game show. It was, it was part of their breakfast show, but there's, there's this game. And I, I can't remember what it was called, but it was something like the gong show or the gong round. It might still be on, I don't know. But basically, there'd be this clock ticking in the background. Tick-tock, 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 tick-tock. And then you hear this slightly strange voice. Ten pounds. Tick-tock, tick-tock, tick-tock. Twenty-five pounds. Tick-tock. Anyway, it went on. The number went up. I, I won't keep here forever. And uh, what you had to do is say, stop the clock. And if you said stop the clock, you would win the last amount of money that was said by the voice. But if you kept going, there'd be this gong. And if the gong came, then you would lose everything. And the point of the game show was not to leave it too late. If you didn't leave it too late, there'd be abundant blessing for you. But if you left it too late, you would lose everything. And I imagine you can get, even from just what we've read, why that is relevant, why that idea of a gong and it being too late is relevant to what Jesus is saying this morning. Because Jesus' main point here is that his judgment will come on religious fakes and at one time, there will become a time when it is too late. His judgment is coming and there'll be a time when it's too late for safety. Well, let's break it down a little bit more. And, and, and the first thing I want us to see within that is that just, re- just recognizing that Jesus' judgment will come. Jesus' judgment will come one day and there will be a time when it is too late. Now, you've seen in this passage, as we we're reading, but maybe just in the heading of your Bible, if you've got an ESV, it's titled Seven Woes to the Scribes and Pharisees. If you're reading an NIV about halfway through, it talks about seven woes. Jesus is talking about this idea of woe. Now, this idea of woe is a a Bible curse. It's saying that uh, judgment is going to come. It's the opposite of a blessing. A blessing is God's favor, but a curse or a woe is God's judgment. And, And the first thing we need to see is that God's judgment will come, and there'll be a time when it's too late. Now, if you read through the whole of Matthew's gospel, start to end in one sitting, you'd see a real change in tone. You see, as Jesus arrives on the scene, there's just blessing comes for people. So I mentioned earlier that the the Magi, the three kings, they come in, they're outsiders and they get blessed. And then Jesus preaches the Sermon on the Mount, maybe the most famous sermon on the world. And he's just pronouncing blessing after blessing after blessing. Blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the pure in heart. And not only does Jesus pronounce blessing, he gives blessing as well. A leper is cleansed. A Roman, someone outside the Jewish people, um, his servant is healed. Sinners, all sorts of outsiders, big, uh, notorious sinners are forgiven. Uh, A Canaanite, again, another one, her enemy of God's people, um, her her daughter, her demon daughter is set free. The blind receive their sight. It's blessing after blessing after blessing. So many are blessed. 
But Jesus never says, I've come to bless everybody without exception. He says, again, start the Sermon on the Mount. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. It's almost the paradigm of those who will be blessed. Blessed are those who know they need blessing. And blessed are those who will come to him for that. And here's the thing, many don't. Many don't come to him for blessing. In fact, many oppose him, particularly the religious elite. In particular, the scribes and the Pharisees who we've uh, been hearing about again and again in the reading. They're like the Bible experts of the day. And that should be pretty surprising to us. And we see them not coming to Jesus for blessing. Rather, they come to him sitting over Jesus in judgment. I mean, just in a few chapters before here, a couple of times we see that. So chapter 21, verse 23, they, they, they question Jesus' authority. Uh, chapter twenty-two, fifteen. they try and entangle Jesus with tricky questions. And those two verses just, just reference to a wider culture of the religious rulers coming to Jesus, rejecting him, not coming to him for blessing, but condemning him. And so for them, the time of judgment has come. And that's why we hear these repeated woes. Jesus comes onto the scene giving blessings, showing the way to the good life, the happy life. But again and again, while some come to him, the religious set their face against him. And so for them, the time of judgment had come. For them, the gong had been sounded. It was too late. The offer of blessing had been replaced by the certainty of woe. And so Jesus says to us this morning, the time of judgment will come. It had come for the Pharisees and the scribes. It was too late for them. But one day it will be too late for us as well. The opportunity for blessing will be replaced by the certainty of curse for us and it will be too late. It might be too late because actually Jesus comes on the clouds in his glory and he brings judgment whilst we're still breathing. It might come uh, because our heart just stops beating in our sleep at night. A friend of a friend that happened to this week, a, a healthy man, he just died out of the blue. That could be us. We don't know. It might be that actually uh, we are well, we are healthy, we're even churchgoers. But the reality is, instead of listening to the word of God in humility, uh, week after week, we either don't listen at all or we don't humble ourselves before God's word. We never make any effort to respond. And so the gong will come, and it will be the time of judgment. It might be that you're relatively new to Christian things. And if that's you, I'm absolutely delighted that you're here. You're hearing God's words. You're weighing it up for yourself, and that is a good thing to do. But don't leave it too long, because sometimes the time of judgment will come, and it will be too late for you in actually not responding in humility to the word of God, in rejecting it. As you harden your heart, God will harden your heart as well, and it will be too late. The time of judgment will come, and so we need to respond in humility for mercy. And we're told this not on a Sunday morning uh, to ruin our Sunday mornings. We're told this, that we might be safe for the final judgment. The time of judgment will come. Now I want us to dig a little bit deeper now. As we see Jesus diagnose uh, who it is more specifically on 
on whom his judgment will come. And we'll basically see that Jesus' judgment comes on those who are sort of religious fakes. And as we uh, break that down further, there are two groups in particular I want us to consider. Firstly, I mean, it's in one sense, they're exactly the same people, but it's two behaviors. And firstly, Jesus' judgment will come on those who exalt themselves. Jesus' judgment will come on those who exalt themselves. So uh, let me read um, verse 2 again. Look what Jesus says. The scribes, so halfway through, he says, um, the scribes and Pharisees sit on Jesus' seat. So practice and observe whatever they tell you, but not what they do, for they preach, but do not practice. We'll see in a bit more detail now about what it is that these Bible experts uh, get wrong. You see, what's really interesting is that their teaching is broadly correct. It's not, it's not totally correct. We'll see later on. But it's broadly correct. Jesus says, um, uh, observe whatever they tell you. It's broadly correct, their teaching. But there is more to a Bible teacher than his teaching. So verse 4, um, look what happens. With their teaching... Uh, they, t- they tie up heavy burdens upon people. They're, they're burdening people down with their teaching. Perhaps morally, uh, they were giving morally correct instruction. They were saying, this is how you ought to live. And, and, and that in and of itself was right. But they'd removed it from the context of God's grace and his mercy and his love. And rather than encouraging people to come to God for grace, they love to push people down. Unlike the Lord Jesus Christ himself, who says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Verse 5, they love to exalt themselves. They love to be seen by others. They had these big phylacteries. There's a a Bible word, basically this box or this sort of wallet that inside had these memory verses. And they'd have these huge ones. In other words, to imply, look how many uh, verses of the Bible I know. Look how important the Bible is to me. And they love to wear these very long uh, religious robes with these long fringes. People could see how holy they were. Verse 6. They, they love to be honoured honored by people, to be greeted uh, in the marketplaces. Verse 7. They love to be greeted and be called by titles. Rabbi. I guess the equivalent of being called reverend or, or right reverend or pastor or something like that. I have to say it's very seductive. Um, some of you know that... Um, uh, last year for the four years before that uh, I was in the Gambia and there it's the habit to call the ministers um, pastor this or pastor that so I was pastor Nick and at first I found it very strange being called pastor Nick I was a bit weird I cringed a little bit and then I found it sort of fine you know I, I got used to it and after a while I found I quite liked it ah pastor Nick yeah that's me it very very seductive why because it appealed to my inner self I love to be exalted Now, Jesus used this last point of these titles. He says, let no one call you anything. And I I don't think he's talking literally in that respect. Later on, we see in the rest of the New Testament, we do see people um, have titles. But the point is, that should not be our identity. That should not be our identity at all. A name of a title, you shouldn't have a title to exhort yourself because that's not who you are if you're a religious leader. You're a servant of others. And so Jesus says, don't do what they do. Morally, they might be teaching you the right thing. But they've completely uh, lost the point. Verse 11, look what Jesus says. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. 
So Jesus' judgment will come, and his judgment will come on those who exalt themselves. Uh, let me, let's try and think about this a slightly different way. Jesus is saying that it's possible to be involved in Bible ministry, Bible teaching ministry. So maybe in our church, you might be uh, reading the Bible with someone else to encourage you. You might say, let's get the Bible open, a good thing to do. You might be a leader of a community group, a good thing to do. You might be a focus leader, a Sunday school leader. You might be uh, a spiritual big deal. And yet Jesus says, whoever exalts himself will be humbled. If you're exalting yourself through those positions, that is a very dangerous position to be in. Jesus says, whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Because the whole point about any of those roles is that you serve other people, not that you get credit. Judgment will come on those of us who seek to exalt ourselves, even if it's through doing good things. Now, the reality is many of us here are not Bible teachers or Bible experts like the Pharisees that teach the law. We don't need community group. We don't need a Bible study in any context. And that is completely okay. We don't have to. But that doesn't give us an out here because the leaders and the teachers of the law should be humble because all Christians should be humble and they should be examples to others. They should be particularly good examples of what it means to be a servant to others. But of course, we live in a culture where we love to exalt ourselves, don't we? And there's a lot of truth in the idiom that everyone's uh, favourite subject to talk about is themselves. It's true, isn't it? We love to talk about ourselves. The fact that the, I guess, relatively new word for social media, but humble brag. Humble brag is a thing. Okay, why is humble brag a thing? Because it happens all the time. We all know about our our attempts to secretly, in in sort of a disguised way, to make ourselves look great. Sometimes it's even in a sort of uh, a twisted sense where actually we have a low view of ourselves, but that low view of ourselves becomes paralyzing. And it becomes paralyzing not because we're humble, it becomes paralyzing because people's opinions of us have become the most important thing. It's an inverted form um, of exalting ourselves, but actually it's the same heart where who we are is the most important thing rather than who others are, serving others. And what's the danger of this? This danger of exalting ourselves is so big because what it does is it stops us coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it kept the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. They didn't come to Christ. And the danger for us is it will do exactly the same. If we exalt ourselves, if that's what we're all about, we won't come to Christ. There's no room for Christ because we want the glory. Well, here's the warning. Judgment will come on those who exalt themselves. People who look religious are often actually fakes because their religion is all about themselves. It's a warning to me as I preach, but it's a warning to all of us. Now, the warning doesn't stop there. And as we read on, we'll, we'll hear Jesus explicitly uh, call out these woes. You probably heard it as I was reading it. Woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. He says it uh, seven times. And as we hear those woes, it's hard to state how important it is, how serious it is. As he read these woes, we should be truly terrified. There should be nothing that scares us more than to be cursed by God when the time of repentance has passed. 
There should be nothing scarier. Brothers and sisters, please listen to this word in all humility because it is so, so serious what Jesus is saying. And he's warning those he loves. He's warning us as those he loves. But what is the warning? Again, Jesus' judgment will come on religious hypocrites. So Jesus' judgment will definitely come. One day it will be too late. It will come to those who exalt themselves and it will come to religious hypocrites. In many senses, the same group of people. Now again, children, I expect you know what the word hypocrite means. I always thought that to understand the word hypocrite is quite long, quite hard to read. It's sort of a nuanced word. I thought I'd find it hard to explain to Phoebe and Arthur what hypocrite meant. But you know what? They understood it straight away, what hypocrite means. you know why? They have a walking example of a hypocrite in their house every single day. Dad, eating with your fingers. Hypocrite. The reality is we're all hypocrites to some degree, aren't we? But being called a hypocrite by your children is one thing. Being called a hypocrite by the Lord Jesus Christ is something else and it should terrify us. But that's exactly what Jesus does. Look at verse 13. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. He says that six or seven times. Woe to you, hypocrites, hypocrites, hypocrites. Now, that would be the exact opposite of what they thought they were doing. They'd be like, oh, we're teaching God's rules. What do you mean, hypocrites? But they got the basis of God's rules completely wrong. Again, God's rules were about the good life. But they'd made it a way of burdening people, of bringing people down. And actually what they were doing was shutting people out of the kingdom. That's particularly what Jesus has in focus, verse 13 and verse 15. He says, you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in again elsewhere he says you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves they were teaching morally correct rules but outside of the context of grace that's the first two ways there's the next two ways sort of verse 16 and verse 23 what they're doing here is focusing on the minutiae of the christian life so where exactly you should swear on to make it a binding promise or what sort of um or what you should give away, what herbs and spices you could give away. I guess that was the equivalent of what you should do with your loose change. Talking about all, all this minutiae without looking at the greater issues of what God's law calls us to. Of mercy, of justice, of faithfulness. You know, talking about the minutiae but without actually caring about your disabled neighbour who lives on your street. Never being bothered to help them. Perhaps talking about the minutiae, but never really caring or never investing yourself into praying for the global church. The majority of Christians throughout the church are persecuted uh, regularly for their faith in Christ. And there's a sense which is Christians in the UK, we feel persecution. Well, it's nothing compared with what most Christians fear. Imagine just focusing on the minutiae of what time you came turned up to church and yet forgetting about the serious issues of global persecution of Christians throughout the world. Or maybe drawing it back home again, uh, thinking about the minutiae of the Christian life, but without actually caring for that person in your congregation, here in amongst us, with genuine needs, but for whom it's just too inconvenient to help. Woe to the hypocrites. Then we have the, the third, two, uh, third two woes, verse 25 and verse 27, again, trying to bring them together. Jesus is making a big deal out of those who look great on the outside, 
but inside there's no spiritual life at all. Again, imagine children, if uh, your mum and dad ask you to do the washing up and you get the pot and the pan and you clean it on the outside, but the real sort of scrubbing of that sort of casserole, you, you don't get off because you can't be bothered. Well, Jesus is saying, actually, that's what we can be like. In fact, I had some uh, friends of mine, a group of girls, a group of guys at university, the girls cook for the guys, and the guy said, you've cooked for us, um, we'll do the washing up. Um, and the girls, oh, that's very kind of them. Anyway, the next morning they woke up, the kitchen was immaculate, it looked great. As they opened up the, uh, the cupboards, as a joke, uh, they literally just put away the dirty pots and pans in the clean kitchen. I think that's quite a funny gag. But imagine that as a picture, though, of what we... That, that is not a clean kitchen, is it? That is not a clean kitchen when all the dirty pots and pans are in the, in the drawers. And you're saying that can be a picture, that could be a picture of what someone is like who is here this morning in Village Hotel, part of Christchurch Central Leeds. That could be one of us. That's what he's saying. Woe to us. Woe to us if that's the case. Maybe we say all the right things. We turn up on time. We sing the songs loudly. We say the confession. We pray the prayers. And yet there's no internal change. We're not trying to walk in step with the Spirit. We don't really care. Maybe repeated anger with our family. Maybe repeatedly drinking too much. No attempt to change. Maybe repeating watching stuff, maybe online pornography online, or maybe sort of the more sanctified version on Netflix or Instagram. It's all just the same. But coming to church every morning, uh, giving the impression that everything is absolutely fine. Jesus saying that's religious hypocrisy. Unless we repent, woe to us. And that takes on to the last uh, woe of the chapter, sort of verse 29. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. If you build uh, the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous. Uh, Jesus will go on here to describe how the people of his day will say, oh yeah, the prophets, we love the prophets. Haven't you seen the prophets' tombs? We know where they are. We clean them. We visit them. We do tours around them. We love them. But Jesus is saying, actually, that's not your behavior at all. The reality is uh, the habit of the religious rulers of Israel was that they persecuted and they rejected the prophets because they didn't want their message. I guess the equivalent of that would be coming up to a a church that you knew taught the Bible, but in reality not really listening to a sermon. Or not really listening to a, with any real engagement in a way that you thought, I want to respond, I want to walk out of here a changed person by the grace of God. Without having the word of God shape how you function your ordinary life, how you spend your time, how you spend your money, who you marry, how you're married, how you live, what you do on a day-to-day basis. Woe to you hypocrites who turn up to church and yet whose life doesn't change. Jesus' judgment will come on religious hypocrites. Now again, as we return to this series in Matthew, we finish Esther. Esther is a wonderful story in many ways. And uh, some of it's tricky, but now we get to Matthew, and it's really quite hard. And it might feel like the arrival of this series is the equivalent of the alarm going off at sort of three in the morning. It's, it's painful, it's shocking, you feel disorientated. In fact, with a change of clocks this morning, I guess some of us felt that with our alarms. Disorientated, and we come to church, and these words are really hard to hear, aren't they? But nonetheless, that's what God's word is to us this morning. Judgment will come. 
it will come to people who are religious. It will come to people who go to church. Those who are hypocritical. Now, as we finish, we need to remember why Jesus tells us these things. Uh, Actually, here, it's interesting to think about who is Jesus talking to? Who is he talking to? I think instinctively we think, oh, he's talking to the, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. That's what he keeps saying. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. But actually, if you just go back to the start of the passage again, look at, um, look at verse 23. I'll read, sorry, chapter 23, verse 1. Look at verse 1. He says this. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So there's quite a lot going on in that verse. He's speaking to the crowds and the disciples. Disciples are those who've decided to follow Jesus. The crowds are those who, I guess, haven't decided to follow Jesus yet, but are interested in what he's saying. He's talking to them, and he's actually talking about the scribes and the Pharisees, the teachers of the law. So he's talking to the crowds about the hypocrites. Now, that's not to say that the people he's speaking to aren't hypocrites, but he's warning them not to be. Later on, the Lord Jesus Christ will speak to the churches from from glory, and he'll say this, those I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Jesus is not giving his verdict on us today, saying we are hypocrites, saying we are those who are self-exalting ourselves. He's not saying that's what we are, he's warning us, not to be like that because his judgment is coming and he's warning us because he loves us and he's warning us to avoid the great danger of his eternal curse and eternal woe. You see there was a time when it wasn't too late even for the Pharisees and the scribes there was a time when they could have turned. Did you see that in verse 37? Listen to what Jesus says. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not. Notwithstanding their previous opposition to the word, he's saying, I would have loved to gather you. I would have loved to have protected you, but you would not come to me. There was a time for them when it wasn't too late, but it is now. But for those listening to Jesus at that point, he's telling them that they might repent and come to Jesus for mercy. And for us today, it is the day of salvation. For us today, today, it is the time to come to Jesus. Did you see that beautiful picture of Jesus uh, like a hen with a brood under her wings? I've never seen that, but I read about... um, I read a book, apparently there was this, is in the National Geographic, talking about uh, this sort of behavior, what happens. There was this huge fire in this, one of these um, national parks in America. And the next day, the, the warden, um, one of the park wardens, went out to um, just inspect the damage. And he found this sort of quite horrific, charred corpse of a bird. And as he prodded it with a stick, three young chicks just came out, alive and well. And obviously what had happened, there was this forest fire and this bird could have flown away easily. It's easy for a bird to fly away from a fire. But she stayed to protect her chicks. In the danger, this bird gave her life and these little chicks came out 
alive, even though the mother had died. And Jesus saying, that is a picture of what I do. That is a picture of what I do on the cross. And that's the picture Jesus gives of himself to us this morning. That's what the cross is all about. You see, when judgment does come, and judgment will come, he offers us a chance to come under his wings. He offers us to come to the cross. That God's judgment that will come, comes on him and not on us. You see, the Bible teaches that God's judgment is going to come. The question for us is, who's going to pay? Is it going to be us? Or is it going to be Jesus? And Jesus says, I long to take that judgment for you. Come and let me do that. That's not to say our our self-exaltation, our hypocrisy doesn't matter. It does. But because of it, judgment is coming. And so Jesus says to the proud, the self-righteous, the religious hypocrites, let's face it, all of us, Come and take refuge in my wings, he says. It's the only place of safety. So his judgment will come on religious fakes. His judgment will come on those who exalt themselves. His judgment will come on religious hypocrites. But for now, Jesus is also offering a place of refuge and safety for when that judgment comes. We see later on that the self-righteous Apostle Paul found mercy Uh, under Jesus' wings. We see that the Apostle Peter, who's described as a hypocrite in Galatians, had mercy under Jesus' wings. And the question is, what about me? And what about you? Will we come to him for mercy? Will we come for safety? Because his judgment is coming. Well, let's humble ourselves now before the Lord and let us pray to him again that he would have mercy on us. Father, you know how quickly we are to exalt ourselves, even in a congregation like this, as we drink coffee afterwards. You know how we love to present ourselves as people who are together, as people who are righteous. We love to be seen highly uh, by each other. And Father, you know how self-righteous we are as well. And you know how hypocritical we can be. You know how empty so much of our worship can be. You know how shallow some of our discipleship could be. Father, we pray you'd please have mercy upon us. Please forgive us. Please help us to come to you afresh for mercy this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.